JB, uh, look, the first nine uh, applicants really didn't bring much to the table here. So I, I don't know why you're dragging me back through this process one more time. Well, you keep you know keep threatening to retire, Frank. So I got to make sure we got a you know a live one on. And I, but I think I found the perfect guy who he's got Division Three experience. He's done podcasts. You know, I think I think we got I think we got the right one here. Let's find out. Uh, I I'm not sold here at all. I got to be honest with you. So he's uh, already a couple seconds late here. I'm not sure what's going on. Oh wait, there he is. Hey, uh, sir, uh, applicant number 10, I guess, uh, be official here. How are you? Well, what's your name? Delane Fitzgerald. Delane Fitzgerald. Okay. Um, now, uh, according to uh, what we read, uh, the brief resume that JB sent me, says you have some kind of Division three experience, maybe coaching-wise or something. Uh, why don't you tell us what that is? It's been a couple years in NCAA Division three coaching Southern Virginia University and then uh, finishing up my D3 experience at Frostburg State University. Um, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't believe there was a Frostburg State in Division Three, so we might need to run a background check on you now that you gave us that information. We'll have to see about that. Uh, JB, you have any questions for him? Mr. Oh, Rossi, we were so good at N we were so good in NCAA Division Three that they kicked us out. Is that what happened? Okay, we'll, we'll check that. We'll we'll check that. Okay, good to know. Coach, I understand you've had some podcasting experience, maybe a, a Bobcast here or there. D done, done some Bobcast, done some local ESPN the radio um, at, at, with the Queen City. Um, they do have a little bit of experience running my mouth. Okay, uh, in that light, you know, one of my jobs here is uh, to irk Mount Union fans. Uh, I, I think I've done a great job of that over the last few years, and uh, we're wondering if you have any experience uh, doing such a thing, because I, whoever replaces me needs to carry on that tradition, most likely. Sir, did you say Mount Union? I, I, I did, actually, yes. And you said fans? I, I did. Uh, yeah, they, they seem to have a few on social media. Maybe it's the same person over and over. I'm not sure. Sir, have you ever met a true Mount Union fan? I try not to because I think I'm banned from the school. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I would assume they have to exist after 20-something years of success uh, at this point, right? No? So you're saying they have bandwagon fans? Well, that that's an interesting point. Okay, so I think you're pretty good on this point at this. Uh, okay. yeah, sir, sir, in in my in my opinion, and this may hurt me getting this job, but people that root for Union College in New York, they're, they're real football fans, and people that root for Hobart College in New York, they're real fans. You know, the the people that have gone through the ups and downs and 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 weathered the storms with their universities, their colleges, and their football programs, they're fans. Um, uh, the people that just jump on the bandwagon and ride it while it's good, well, hey. Um, halfway through this season, there were a bunch of New England Patriots fans, and now everybody's Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> That's a good point. So uh, could you identify, if I put this uh, the school's uh, you know letter or whatever uh, up, could you identify them? Let's, let's see how you are. And tell me what you think of this school, uh, if you can identify it. Union College. In northern yes. New York, great, great academic institution, solid football program in the second round of the playoffs this week with Salisbury. I, I, I'm starting to like this guy, JB. Uh, you got some more questions for him? No, I think we got a winner right here, Frank. 
So, you know, uh, the lane it was, you said, uh, how are you with technology? Because, uh, you know, I produce the show at the end of the day. I, I put together all this technology stuff. I, I hear you're pretty good with a cell phone, at least. Uh, I mean, how are you? Born and raised in Nelson County, Virginia. And 20 years ago when I left there, they didn't even have a stoplight. I am what you would call technology challenged. Well, that's that's a problem. Uh, well, we'll, if, I'm we'll if, I'm, if I'm taking over your job, I'm going to need some good assistance. We're going to need some interns and GAs, some young folks to show me the ropes. Well, I, did they tell you what the job pays? No, sir, they did not. So if I told you we don't actually pay here, would you still be interested in the job? It's going to be hard for me to provide for my family with zero dollars in income. <laughs> Wait, JB, where did he go? He just disappeared off the screen. Maybe, maybe it must be a bad connection or something. I, 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 you know, I, I, he knew he would didn't pay, right? I, come on, you told you had to tell him that. That might have left. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, we finally found what I like, JB, and he didn't give him the right details. Uh I guess I'm sticking around for another season then. Oh well, I tried. Okay, folks, before you write any cards and letters here and, you know, go crazy about what you just saw in the uh, open, it was a joke, okay? A somewhat scripted joke. Uh, it was not meant to be serious in any way, shape, or form, but we really appreciate Delane Fitzgerald for playing along in the whole thing. Uh, he, we will have him, actually, uh, a full interview with him later on in the show. Uh, he'll be talking about uh, Frostburg State's rise in Division Two in their first year. They went 8-3. and 8-3 and three in the first year. Uh, they, they couldn't go to playoffs, so I'll explain what it all meant in the interview. But he has some great insight for what Wesley and Salisbury might be looking like this weekend. And Del Val fans who uh, are using this guy's bulletin board material already, uh, that'd be this guy right there uh, across the uh, divider for me. Uh, yeah, that's you. Yeah, hey, nice to see you, James. Uh, yeah, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, it was, well, look, if you're Del Val, you'll have more bulletin board material by the end of that interview, probably. And Union fans, oh, you yeah. may as well have some bulletin board material uh, because he's... Let's face it, he's very honest right now about his feelings in Division Three. Again, first thing was a joke. Everything that's coming up in the interview, real, okay? <laughs> so let's get this all differentiated now. Okay, also in the show, uh, we are going to go through tales of the tape. We know you love them and everything, folks. And then, uh, previewing the uh, playoff games, I should say. And then, a little special thing we've uh, put together. Uh, the, the schools that are still left in the East Region helped us out putting some holiday greetings from several players together. And we're going to run that toward the end of the show uh, as we give our own thoughts about Thanksgiving and what we're thankful for, as this is our Thanksgiving playoff preview special. JB, um, Thanksgiving special time. I know you got a lot of kids in the house eating up your Wi-Fi right now. So to the degree you can, uh, you, you may be only audibly heard and not visibly seen uh, during much, much of this show because of it. But, you know, give, give one thing you're very thankful for when it comes to our second round of the playoffs that we're previewing right now. 
Well, I'm, I'm really thankful just for the fact that we've built such nice relationships with all the programs out there in the East region that when we, uh, I think really you came up with the idea, hey, let's do some, you know, some Thanksgiving Day, um, you know, shout outs that uh, these uh, teams, these SIDs, these co uh, assistant coaches just jumped on it and really helped produce uh, a great uh, you know, tribute. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving is a time to be with your family. A lot of the guys that are still in the playoffs, uh, the family they're spending time with is really their, their football teammates. Um, they can't see their moms or dads or nanas or uh, sisters, brothers, cousins, and what have you. You're going to hear lots of different um, you know, kids from all across the country uh, that are far away from home and, and won't get to sit around the dinner table over some turkey and, and stuffing with their with their loved ones. But they will be with um, you know their teammates and and um, and so that that's their football family. But it made sense this time of year to to give them a chance to uh, try to. Uh, reach out to friends and family, let them know that they're thinking of them. And, um, you know, it's in, in just our little way just to say Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to uh, the D3 uh, fans out there. So hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with uh, business, as they say, uh, and talk about uh, the playoff games uh, at hand here. Playoffs. And Yeah, playoffs. Uh, we have three of them to talk about with East Region uh, teams. Uh, next week, we will focus on all four remaining games uh, in this way, where we'll bring in the out-of-region uh, matchups, because it is likely uh, that we will see, well, we, we kind of know we're going to at least see uh, a team like Del Valor Wesley go through. So we'll have at least one East team there, Salisbury or Union. So we'll have one there. Uh, so at least two of the games will involve East teams in some way, shape, or form or another. Uh, Muhlenberg could be on the other half of that. Mount Union uh, could be on the other half of the Del Val Wesley one. So uh, they're going to be fighting for their lives, possibly, to keep an East team alive at that point in the quarterfinals. Yep. Uh, but on the other side, it's uh, the Mary Harden Baylor, Whitewater scenario, St. John's. Uh, below that, uh, Chapman mm -hmm. and Wheaton. So we'll give you a little bit more information about what those teams mean if somehow the East team is able to get to the Stag Bowl in Shenandoah, Texas. Not that far away. Uh, just about yeah. three and a half weeks away, to be honest with you. Uh, first game we want to talk about is the game that we kind of have some idea about already. It's uh, the second stanza of an avoidable, uh, we keep saying, rematch. But they did not avoid it, and so here we go. Number 9, DelVal, at number 10, Wesley. Again, Wesley hosts because the rankings on D3Football.com do not determine this. This is determined by the committee, and then they uh, redetermine on Sundays who hosts based on who filed to host. And any uh, for close calls, they just reassess whether or not the team you assumed should have hosted will be hosting ultimately. This will matter more when we go into closer to the, to the semifinals where you have crossover and brackets. Maybe you have a one and a one basically going at it at that point. Who's the one that hosts? We're not necessarily sure at that point in time. Uh, anyway. DelVal, 10-1, their loss to Wesley in quadruple overtime. Wesley, 10-1, their loss to Salisbury. Not in overtime, but it was only a one-touchdown game. I think there's a little bit of garbage time touchdown there, though. It was uh, more like a two-possession game uh, yeah. late. So, you know, read what you want out of that. Wesley is outgaining DelVal by about 50 yards, but they're uh, defensively, DelVal is better by about 75 yards uh, at this point. 
Uh, the quarterback comparison is a little deceiving, obviously. Anthony Fontana, 26 passing touchdowns, 6 rushing touchdowns, 6 interceptions. So uh, overall, plus 26 when you don't factor in fumbles. Drew Fry has only started one game. He has 7 touchdowns, no rushing touchdowns, no interceptions. But we've talked plenty about him. Turnover margin. Uh, there may have been a slight glitch in Wesley's last week, but at this point we can tell you that it's now plus four. It's okay. <laughs> it happens. You had lots of numbers floating all over the place. It's plus four on both sides, although uh, tw uh, 24 gained versus 21 gained uh, goes to DelVal if we needed a tiebreaker that, that way. Points per game uh, differential, plus 25.2 for DelVal. Plus 19.7 for Wesley. Is DelVal a different team compared to last time? You, you kind of got in trouble for your answer the other day. So we're, we're going to see what your answer is now since DelVal's uh, turned you into bulletin board material, JB. But Wesley, with Drew Fry, you made a bold statement about saying it's a different team that you would think that uh, Wesley is a large favorite in this game. Explain it better, perhaps, to the folks that want to kind of, you know, pin uh, you on the cork board and just keep throwing darts at you at this point. You know, give us give us your thoughts on this one. Well, Frank, I don't think DelVal has changed that much this season other than the fact that I believe the quarterback play of Fontana has really improved. He, he struggled with turnovers in the first few weeks of the season, particularly in this uh, four-overtime game with Wesley. I think their, uh, their defense is going to have to try to confuse the freshman uh, quarterback in, in, in Drew Fry and maybe uh, try to work with uh, um, Mario Nigro in the running game to, to control the clock more and keep that potent Wesley offense on the sideline for as long as possible. Now, uh, you know, with defensive ends like Vessels and others, running the ball is going to be tough for Del Val, so they might need to take some shots here and there when they can. But the key, Frank, I think is if Montana can limit uh, – Guys like Corey Williams in, in the secondary are probably going to get an interception. There's going to be a turnover at some point. Uh, there's too many good athletes on the Wesley side of things for it not to happen. But if Fontana can limit it to just one, then we're, we, we have a ball game here. Let me ask you a question, though. I, when it gets to playoffs and tight games and whatnot, sometimes it's character building. You got to think that DelVal had a very character-building game against Bridgewater last week because they had to come back from a nine-point deficit and in pieces basically throughout that game, and then take a lead big enough to hold off Bridgewater. Wesley was—it was almost done with the kickoff. I mean, the, the kickoff return for a touchdown—you uh, know—pretty much did it in at that point. It was Marcellus Pack, I think, with that initial uh, runback. Yeah. Um, yeah well. Do you get? Do you give DelVal any credit there, or do you say? Well, Wesley's been playing close games all season, so a game like this should be old hat to them. Uh, maybe DelVal is really the team that's been inexperienced with the close games, and they got you know one under the belt here that they won. How, how do you look at how this season and game one of the playoffs affects these teams right now based on how they won throughout the season? Well, I think for, for DelVal, for the first time in, in probably a while, they're not the... They're not the home favorite. I mean, we you saw them back in 2017 when they hosted Brockport in the national quarterfinals. They were they were the home team. Like they have been the kind of the reigning MAC champions for years now. For them to be sort of the road underdog in the playoffs is is pretty unusual for them. Um, but you have to to credit the the coaching staff and the players for 
hanging in there against a, a pretty uh, tough Bridgewater team. You know, we, we look at the tail of tape on them. They had the highest turnover uh, ratio of any team on the uh, on the east side of the bracket. So um, the fact that they were able to keep coming back and eventually put the way uh, the Eagles says a lot about their and. Yeah, here they are again. They're the the road underdog uh, to to a team that beat them head to head, and um, they're going to need to you know cling on to that underdog uh, type of mentality to keep fighting. And uh, I have a feeling that they they might look to surprise some folks, maybe me included. We'll we'll see. Uh, you may have some apologies to make uh, next week. Uh, I, I will teach you how to do it because I'm the king of that. I, I've done it many times. So. I'll order some crow with my turkey uh, after <laughs> Thanksgiving God. holiday. Well, we'll that game is at noon Eastern time, as uh, all these games are that we're talking about right now. So you'll be wanting to watch that one on the Wesley stream. Hopefully it is in one piece. We've had some issues throughout the season with their stream. Hopefully it goes okay there on Saturday. Uh, also down, uh, what is it, Route 13, uh, it will be another game that I'll be attending. And let's look at this one, Union at Salisbury. It's spelled Salisbury, we understand, but it is Salisbury oh, for Union fans out there. Please, please respect your, your hosts, rather, by calling it the right name. Because I certainly didn't 10 years ago when I went on the air and they threw notes at me like it I was didn't. my job. Yeah, it was Salisbury. <laughs> Got it. Okay, here we go. Uh, two undefeated teams in this game. 11-0 Union, 10-0 Salisbury. Uh, so, you know, closest game really for these teams, I think, was Wesley uh, for Salisbury because Oshkosh was, I think, two possessions uh, by the end of it. And Union's closest game, well, uh, let's go back here. Uh, maybe the <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be uh, the Case Western game. Uh, so, yeah, heck of a time to get your closest game, I guess. But again, maybe it builds character, as we were saying. Offensively, though, here's where things start getting interesting. About uh, 73 yards more per game offensively for Salisbury, and their defense is 15 yards better. Jack Lanham. As 10 touchdown passes, 11 touchdown rushes. Very interesting that it's almost a 50-50 split there for Lanham and two interceptions. Yep. We spoke briefly about this last week. We'll re-examine it, re it in a moment. Will Bellamy, though, 21 passing touchdowns. Yeah, the man has not rushed in yet for a touchdown. Maybe he needs to uh, this week for uh, a change. We'll he see what happens. To, yeah. Four interceptions uh, on the season. Very efficient quarterbacks when you look at the fact that they're combined for only six interceptions this season. Union, though, has been a team of ball hawks with the 24 gained uh, interceptions. They're plus 10 versus plus one for Salisbury. Although uh, we had somebody that was explaining to us that uh, some of the, the balancing of the turnover margin was caused by late game stuff that was going on. Fumbles lost by second stringers, to which I uh, said, yeah. Sherwood, I'm sure was really thrilled with his team, no matter who was in the game, for losing the ball in those situations. But without yep. more, we have to abide by the fact it's plus 10, plus 1. Point differential, though, Union is plus 20.2. Salisbury averaging 50 points four per game right now. 50 is a plus 33.5 differential uh we're not going to steal delane fitzgerald's thunder on this game which is coming up again in just a little bit but jb i uh 
I'm concerned as a union fan. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm concerned as a union yeah. fan here. I mean, I, I, I can wear this hat all I want, uh, but this, <laughs> this hat alone is not going to get the, the job done. It's going to take a lot of, I think, gadgetry, ball control, and they cannot let this game turn into a shootout. I, they cannot win a game in the 30s against Salisbury, is my view. What do you think? Well, if I'm a Union fan, I'm hoping uh, that it's deja vu all over again. And what I'm referring to is how kind of pedestrian um, Union looked when they played Utica a week before. So they beat Ithaca, huge win, first time ever at Butterfield. Effectively, you know, had locked up the um, the conference championship for them. And then they had this Utica team coming to town who needed a win desperately to try to stay alive for the postseason. They were able to win, but it wasn't pretty. And then the next week, they went out and just laid it on their uh, their number one rival, RPI, 33 to nothing. And then we kind of saw in the first half of the Case Western game the exact Union team that we saw against Utica. And then in the second half, we saw the Union team that went up against RPI. So it's been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation for Union. And I think they need to lock into that, um, you know, whether you – know, if you, if you want to say Jekyll is good, then, then, the, then the Jekyll side of things, um, although they might need to be a little bit high here and there and, and, and bring, you know, bring the wood on defense um, because, you know, Salisbury is going to just keep running the ball, running the ball. But the, the ultimately, the, the defensive backs have to be ready uh, for that every once in a while pass play because we know that this Salisbury team is not your, your traditional triple option where they – uh, you know, they'll, they're, they're going to throw the ball when when they can. So it's good that Union see the team like Springfield, and it's good that um, the secondary has played in the Liberty League, which boasts some of the best quarterbacks in the East region. So they've seen a lot of strong passing teams. But Salisbury is a you know, different animal, and um, it's going to be a challenge for the Dutchman. But if they can get off to a good start, we might have a ball game here. Well, you said bring the wood. I, I, I'm sure you did not mean Sherman Wood uh, in that case because he's going to be out there uh, ready to go for this he game, coach for Salisbury. Um, but you, you said every now and again with the passes. We've seen Jack Lanham throw 21 times in games this season. That is not typical for a triple yeah. option team. We're going to hear more about why it is turning into that. Again, Delaney Fitzgerald brings up some great points that we didn't even realize about Offensive yeah. coordinator and Sherwood's smartest move that he feels as a coach coming up in the interview in a little bit. So, again, stay tuned. we got one more game to talk about. Then we'll run into that interview. We want to talk about the Brockport-Muhlenberg game in the tail of the tape there first. But uh, before we leave this game, you know, what is the most number of points you feel a union can give up and still win this game? Yeah, I know 20 something can't it can't be it, it can't get above 30 i mean i, I just feel like um i think it's well, 20 it's, I, to be honest with you i think 20 is that zone where i would say to you they will win this game on a, at least 50 50 ball if you go above 20 i i start sliding from 50 50 down to zero very quickly up to the number 30 as you're saying at that point mm. Yeah, and they're going to have to figure out ways to complete drives. Um, I mean, Halpin's a good kicker. He's not a great kicker. Um, he will be able to, you know, convert, I think, field goals within the 30 to 40-yard range. Um, 
but you're not going to beat a team like Salisbury kicking field goals. So uh, they need to come up with maybe a, a, some plays on special teams, um, something out of the ordinary. And you know, Jeff Berman is a uh, an offensive mind. I'm sure he's he's got some you know tricks up his sleeves. And you know, at this point, it's one. Of the, this is one of those situations where you're, you're definitely considered the underdog. Just throw the kitchen sink out there and play your best game and, and just see how it goes. Yeah, remember uh, the team uh, that is number one in the uh, East uh, regional rankings was Salisbury, and Union was a full three spots lower according to the committee. Though we disagree with that, we think that they were actually a number yeah. two in our minds uh, compared to Salisbury. They are below them yeah. in some way, shape, or form. I guess this game will uh, prove who was right, whether they really should have been number two or better, or if they really were a number four team that had that much separation between them and Salisbury. Stay tuned. Saturday we'll find out. Friday we'll predict the game as always. Uh, last game here, tailor-tape wise. Uh, one of the, I think it's the second largest number of losses still with the team in the playoffs. Brockport at 9-2. and two. Huntington has three losses against Mary Harden Baylor. Is going up against undefeated number four Muhlenberg uh, in the third game, uh, which is in the Salisbury bracket, don't forget. Uh, Muhlenberg mm -hmm. has a 24-yard-per-game advantage. I'm surprised it's not a bigger uh, differential. I'm surprised that Brockport's at 411 yards based on the interesting season they've had offensively. But Look at Brockport, their rushing numbers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 223.5 compared to 158.5. Like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But look, Brockport has a better defense by more than those 24 yards. It's about yeah. a 30-yard differential right there between the two teams. Freddie June appears to be the man again, the freshman with eight passing touchdowns, six yeah. rushing touchdowns, and two interceptions. Michael Nikowski, though, 40 touchdowns, 40, with three interceptions. He's plus 37, again, factoring out fumbles. Uh, Brockport's turnover margin, only a plus three, though, compared to Muhlenberg's mm. plus nine. That's a little interesting when you're giving up a lot less yardage in this whole situation. Uh, I would have expected it to be flipped or at least more even than that. And point differential, yeah. plus 15.3 for Brockport, plus 31 for Muhlenberg. And so what, when you put those last two statistics together, JB, what it's telling me is that Brockport is giving up the ball at the wrong times and not completing drives for scores as much as Muhlenberg is. And so ball control matters to give you points uh, to punch it in somehow, way, shape, or form. Brockport's got to hold on to this ball. Brockport, I don't think, can even cough this ball up once to win this game this weekend. I know you gave a little bit of uh, credence to the ability of DelVal maybe to uh, have one turnover against Wesley and still win the game. I'm not sure Brockport can turn it over even once in this game. Yeah, the, the, the thing that stands out to me, Frank, is the if you look at the, the defensive line, I mean, 27 rush yards allowed by the Golden Eagles defense and, and just under 70 yards for the, for the Mules. So you have a, a rush-heavy Brockport team, you know, coming in. You know, this is the old, you know, what is it, the, uh, the unstoppable force against the immovable object right? So something's going to got to give there, um, whether it's going to be the, the Muhlenberg rush defense, or are we going to see a situation since Muhlenberg's also great at, at stopping the run? Does this turn into, can Freddie uh, June, you know, find his receiving core open and all of a sudden we get the opposite of the game that we expected? Instead of running, it's just a bunch of mid to long pass plays. Um, you know, I'm sure the 
uh, to fill in a code. Wildcat is going to be, um, you know, coming into into play here and there. But if they can't find open space with that, and it, all of a sudden they're facing some second and tens and third and eights, you got to throw the ball. And, well, two uh, things. Two things I want to say branching off what you just said. Number one. Uh, they're going to have to get Freddie June successful in the pass because Muhlenberg is going to basically say, if you're going to beat us, it is with the pass, Freddie June. Yeah. Okay? That, that's clear to me. So until he proves he can successful, successfully pass the ball, they're going to basically put a lot of guys in the box, I think, to stop the run because they know that's the most dangerous facet of the Brockport game. Having said that, Again, this game, for Brockport's sake, cannot turn into a shootout. They cannot win a shootout in this situation because that would rely on the pass as much as anything, I think. Again, I don't think this is a game that can be won by Brockport in the 30s. I think it has to be in the 20s or less. Maybe 24, 27 points they could give up and still win. I think they have a little bit more margin for error than even Union does against Salisbury. But in the 30s, I think this game is totally Muhlenberg's still. Yeah, the one the one thing I wonder about is the fact that you know, even though they've really had to rely on the run this season, I mean there are still pretty much except for I think Brown, all the same wide receivers from the last couple of years that Joe Germanario would throw um, lots of passing touchdowns to. There is a lot of talent in the receiving core that the Golden Eagles have, but really haven't leveraged yet. So um, yeah, if I'm a Golden Eagles fan, I'm wondering. Why don't we why don't we try to get you know Ortiz and some of these other guys open and out there because they can make plays and you know as the tail of the tape says and you know almost 200 yards passing allowed a game hey why not give it a whirl what do you got to lose yeah it is almost house money when you're looking at the fact again that you're going up against an undefeated team who's number four in the nation and yeah. you have two losses right now what about ten weeks ago. Brockport wasn't even a playoff-worthy team in anybody's mind, okay? This wasn't even possible. They fight through a tough game against Western New England. It is house money at this point to me. I, and I understand they have higher expectations at Brockport than this because of what they've been through the last couple of years. But last year, we were looking at a second-round game that turned into a complete debacle for them in terms of team spirit, locker room, respect, and a lot of other things that occurred from it versus a game here where... They're not expected to win. They could, This is completely different the way they should be going into this game. They should look at this game like, if we win this game, we have beaten odds that are so unbelievable with a new quarterback situation that a year ago we didn't even know was going to develop like this because it wasn't there at that point. It wasn't this where we had you know yeah. the whole whatever with Joe and Joe leaving and everything else. Okay, If they win this game, holy cow. If they lose this game... They still have everything in the world to be proud of, okay? But we won't talk yeah. about that right now. We'll talk about if they win it, wow. That, that's what they're going to want to focus on. We'll do the same thing right now for them. So yep. I want to talk about somebody who is uh, used to winning and we thought would maybe have a little less winning going on this season. Boy, were we wrong. Delane Fitzgerald, Frostburg State. They went from Division Three to the West Virginia uh, Conference in Division Two. Uh, I, I think it was a lot of their travel actually got easier, to be honest with you, this season because yeah. the NJAC yeah. was wider radius than the uh, games they had to play this year in the West Virginia League. 
in Division Two. So it's a very interesting analysis you could do as to the reasons you go to Division Two and what it all means at the end of the day. But obviously, they're not fully scholarshiped up yet. Obviously, they had some carryover players in Division Three, and they went eight and three. Are you kidding me? Let's ask him what happened. Good here job. comes the interview with Delaney Fitzgerald. You know, it's a good thing, uh, you know, we were forced to sign a waiver uh, with Delaney Fitzgerald uh, before an interview that we won't hit record until we tell him we're hitting record because he is a storyteller of storytellers, and he's going to tell us some stories about Division Two coming up here. We miss him in Division Three. Uh, JB, I, I know you agree with that one 110%, but first, yeah. Delaney Fitzgerald, welcome back to In the Huddle. Frank and James, thank you for having me. It, it, it's been almost a year. Uh, we were just catching up, and uh, the, the stories are great as always. Thanks, Coach, for some good laughs uh, even before we took it uh, to the air here. And, you know, it's it's obviously a bittersweet scenario. Uh, we've lost your team, uh, and the NJAC seemed a little bit pedestrian at times without you guys in there uh, with the out-of-conference stuff uh, the way it went for them this season. Uh, but obviously, you are impressing a lot of people. We're so darn proud of you and your team for what they were able to do uh, at Eaton 3 this season. How do you feel right now after a season is in the books away from Division 3, but in Division 2 with su such success right now? Uh, hey, first off, I thought you gentlemen had forgotten about us. I hadn't heard from you in about a year. Um, was, ha was happy to hear from you this past week. Hey, I figured Frank and James had moved on to greener pastures and didn't want to talk to me anymore. And we always want to talk to you, Coach. You know that. Oh, yeah. We, we, guys, th th this past fall what, what was a learning experience for, for our coaching staff and our players and our football program. Um, we played well, and we, we had a stretch in the middle of the season where we won seven games. It was a great experience for our coaching staff and for our players. Indeed, uh, it looked like it was, uh, you know, after the start with the loss uh, in the roll off, reel off seven straight like that, the way you were uh, able to just caught people by surprise, coach. But, you know, you're the guy that always comes out there and says, hey, we're going to win three games uh, this season if we're lucky. And but th behind the scenes, did you kind of know that this was possible? I mean, how many players from Division three did you carry forward uh, to this roster this year. Tell us how that all worked, because I guess the question a lot of people have is, how would Division Three teams do against some of these Division Two teams uh, if you know you're able to carry that many Division Three players over to Division Two and have that success, or did you? I, I, we don't know the answer to that question, so we'll rely on you for that answer. Yeah. The, maybe the best coaching job that our coaching staff has done here, and and I'm fortunate to have a, a great coaching staff. Our, our offense, defense, special teams coordinators are very good at what they do. And, and then we have some some interns and GAs and part-time guys that just do a nice job, good football coaches um, that, that did a nice job of piecing a team together. Um, Fra Frank and James, we, we had a good core of football players returning we knew we were going to have to get new help um, at the defensive tackle position and the offensive tackle position. We had freshmen come in and play really well at those two positions. And then, we, you know, we lost Connor Cox at the quarterback position and we had to replace him. We were fortunate enough to land a, a 
FCS graduate transfer from Albany, Will Brunson, and he come in here and did a nice job of piecing things together for us. Um, you, you talked about, you know, what I probably told everybody, and yes, I probably told everybody I spoke to in the last year that we were going to win two or three games this year. Um, in, in my heart of hearts, I thought we would win between four and six games this fall. Um, so, so with that, with that being said, you know, I, I, it was a successful season. Um, I'm learning a little bit about myself as we go here that my expectations have to be higher th than they are. Um, you asked about where D3 teams stack up with D2 teams. When, when In 2017, when we made that Elite elite Eight run and won 11 games in Division Three, and, and what I thought we had was a national title contender, and, and I think we did, um, I told everybody that offseason that we would beat 60 or 70 of the Division II teams in the country that year. Um, I still believe that, that we would have beat 60 or 70 of those teams in 2017. Um, in 2019, we had about the same caliber of team, and we went eight and three. So, hey, maybe I was right. Coach, when, when uh, I know you're with the, the change of schedule, you're playing more uh, regional teams. You're not necessarily, you know, on the road as much, but um, what, what would you say are some of the some of the major differences that you've seen in just this past year, you know, between the, the division two and, and three levels, whether it's in you know, the stadiums? I mean, we all everybody obviously knows about the scholarships and and this and that, uh, maybe not the specifics of how many um, division two scholarships there are. But what from your vantage point for the, you know, the folks out there in D3 land that, that may or may not know much about uh, division two football? What are some of the similarities and differences that you've seen overall? Yeah, the, the, the similarities is that football is football is football. Okay. The, the team right. that commits the yeah, the team that commits the least amount of penalties and the team that goes forward on offense and the team that doesn't turn the football over is gonna win the majority of the football games. You, you know, it's it's still all about you, you know, running and catching and blocking and tackling and block defeat. The, those things that those similarities don't change. Um, I, I think whether you're playing in the NJAC, playing NCAA Division Three, or you're playing in the NFL and you're the New England Patriots or the Baltimore Ravens, I, I think the fundamentals of football are the fundamentals of football. And I, and I don't think that changes. Um, you're asking about some of the differences. The Division Two players are bigger, stronger, and faster than, than the Division Three players. Um, that, that, that's, that, that happens. At the Division Two level, you're allowed a maximum of 36 scholarships. Now, what each university and each president and board of trustees has done is they've decided which, what each school is getting. And we have three or four schools in our conference with 36 scholarships. And we have them in our conference with 30 scholarships. And we have them in our conference with 28. Um, if you were asking me to guess, we're in the Mountain East Conference now, and, and the average is going to be 28 or 29 equivalencies. And equivalency is a, is a full scholarship. And, and that's kind of where the conference is at right now. Guys, that there are Division II football programs in the country with seven equivalencies. That they've got seven scholarships, and that's what they're playing with. Um, where, where I take issue with that is, is you, you hire a head coach and you give him seven scholarships, and then you fire him three or four years later because he's not winning. Well, he's not winning because he's playing against a bunch of schools with thirty scholarships. Um, right. And, and in my in my Division Two, my one year in Division Two, okay. Um, yeah, I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed with the with the universities and, and the facilities. Some of the facilities we've seen need upgrading. Need upgrading a bunch. Um, the universities as a whole, 
and, and the facilities of the Division Three universities, uh, on average, are better than the Division Two schools. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I wonder if uh, the, you know, giving money out in the scholarship system uh, makes them have to make that choice between the upgrades versus uh, what they have to give uh, in that you know aid uh, type fashion in terms of scholarships. It's it's an interesting analysis that could be done. I think ultimately between how Division Three has decent facilities generally, not all of them obviously, but Division Two might be struggling in that respect. Coach, what was the biggest adjustment for you? in the last year for having to go from division two uh coming from division three uh you know what what hurdle was the biggest for you or what what change did you have to make that was the biggest thing for you personally during the last year yeah the the, pay, the paperwork the, the amount of paperwork in the rules um not, not, not a ton of rules in ncaa division three not a ton of paperwork now there, there's plenty of paperwork um but we went from a, how do you say it, a manageable load of paperwork as a head coach to it being almost unbearable. As, as a university, you, you know, we, we hired three or four um, extra assistant athletic directors. And every time we hire a new boss, it just adds new paperwork. Um, you, you would think as you would hire people at, at the upper level that the paperwork would go away, but it hadn't. It's doubled and tripled and quadrupled. And that there's times in here where the paperwork stacked up on my desk, you know, a foot high. And it's, it's, more, it's more than any football coach should ever have to be doing. Wow. Yeah, no, that's definitely not a desk job uh, when you're trying to coach a football team. But, um, you know, Coach, we're, we're in the, you know, the playoff uh, time of season. Obviously, as a new program, uh, you guys weren't uh, eligible to, to play in the D2 playoffs. Uh, but I have seen out there in social media land a lot of Division Three fans um, kind of advocating that Division Three switch to the Division Two model um, with, you know, kind of less automatic qualifiers and more, uh, you know, at-large berths, kind of a, a mer I guess you can say like a merit uh, type of system. Um, you guys will be eligible, I assume, in, in a couple of years. And, that, and before the call, you were mentioning you know, some stuff about the Division II bowls. But what are your thoughts? Do you think a Division II playoff system could work in Division III? Or are there just too many teams at this, at this level to really make that work? Or what are some of the pros and cons of, of implementing a D2-type philosophy in Division III? There's there's pluses and minuses to the Division Two playoff system and to the Division Three playoff system, guys. Um, I would say this one: I am a fan of the automatic qualifier. Uh, James and Frank, if you win your conference, your goal, your first day of practice, uh, you're trying to win the first game, but your ultimate goal should be to win your conference. If that's not the goal, then why would you have a conference? Why are you in a conference? Other than what do you call sure. it, the um, the easiness of scheduling? But, but I would tell you, if you win your conference, you should make the playoffs. So I really like that about NCAA Division III. Um, if I was tweaking the NCAA Division III model, I would do this. Um, I would add, I would add, you got four regions. I would add four more at-large teams because there's some second-place teams in the conferences that really deserve to make it. Just talking about what I know and what I've experienced, maybe our best football team in the university's history was 2016. We go nine and one. We lose to Wesley on the road at Wesley, and we get left out of the playoffs. We end up going to the Bushnell Bowl yeah. in Philadelphia to play. Well, we had a we we had we were going to win 
a playoff game two or three with that team because we were so good on defense, all American mm -hmm. three technique, all American defensive end, and we got left out. So if you were asking, um, just my, my amateur opinion on a playoff system, D3 should keep it exactly like it is now. They should add four more at-large teams, and maybe you give the four one seeds, they get a bye. They get a bye in week one, and everybody else plays. Um, that would be the tweak. Um, NCAA Division II. Um, I like the playoff system, but but because here's what happens. The top seven teams in the regional rankings make the playoffs. And you can be a conference champion in Division Two and get left out. Well, I, I don't believe in that. If you win, if you win your conference, you you should be in, no matter how the conference went, strength of schedule, and all of that. Um, this year, for instance, um, there are there are in, in our region. Okay, there's one team from the Mountain East, our conference in there. There's one team from the GMAC, which is mostly the Ohio teams that that is in there, and there is uh, five, four or five teams out of the PSAC. Well, there, there's some teams in the PSAC that don't didn't belong in the Division II playoffs this year and shouldn't have been in there. Um, the Northeast 10th, that Division II conference in New York and New England, that, that their conference yep. champion didn't get into the playoffs. And by all <laughs> rights, their conference champion should have been in the playoffs. Interesting. Yeah, it's good, it's good insight uh, for sure. Now, uh, you left a conference uh, that ended up with, despite some of the out-of-conference problems the conference had in the end, Jack, Two uh, uh, Division Three playoff contenders that remain contenders right now, or uh, players in this whole system. We have Salisbury. We have Wesley. Now I know you, Coach, and despite all the paperwork that was on your desk, I know you were still watching, uh, kind of out the corner of your eye, uh, what was been going on in Division Three because uh, old habits die hard, and uh, that's for all of us. What do you think of? this Wesley team and uh, this whole idea of using a freshman quarterback out of nowhere into the playoffs uh, like uh, they are with Drew Fry. And, you know, what do you think of uh, the job that Sherman Wood has done this season for Salisbury? Give us your uh, kind of 40,000-foot view here of uh, what Salisbury and Wesley look like to you as they go to the second round of the playoffs right now. Yeah, that, that Salisbury and Wesley look like two teams that could do a lot of damage in the NCAA playoffs this year. Um, I'll start with Wesley. Um, I have always thought that Wesley was one of the better coach teams in, in the in the country. Um, Chip Knapp is one of the best offensive coordinators. He, he may be the best offensive coordinator in Division Three football history. Um, he, he's been there for going on 30 years and done a great job running that offense. Um, I see, again, that they're very good on offense this year. That's the strength of their team. They're going to outscore some, some teams, and they've already outscored a bunch of teams this year. Their only losses to Salisbury, and if, if I'm not mistaken, they lost at Salisbury, which is a hard place to win. Um, yep. Wesley Wesley's going to win again this weekend. They're going to score a bunch of points this weekend and move on to, to the Elite Eight. Uh, be careful. Switch. Be careful. You're going to become bulletin board material like the guy right here for uh, some of these bold predictions. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I lost some friends at Del Valle this week. What are you going to do? <laughs> there, you, there you go. Wes, Wesley is, is well coached. And you knew after they finished the regular season last year, six and four, went to a bowl game, won that bowl game, finished seven and four. Well, half the teams in NCAA Division Three would take a seven and four season and be very, very happy with it. That is a down year. It's a, it's, it's almost what do you call it? Depression like in Dover, <laughs> Delaware, for them for them to lose four games in one season, only win seven. 
um, you knew they were going to bounce back and you knew they were going to bounce back with a vengeance. One of the things that bothered me about leaving division about leaving D division three what was not getting a chance to play Wesley and to play Salisbury again. So anyway, bothered us a little bit um, on Salisbury. Um, Sher Sherman Woods done a nice job of coaching that program for 25-ish years there as the head coach. Um, Sherman Woods' greatest move as a head coach may be this. Um, Gallaudet hired Ryan Fleetwood, his offensive coordinator, away from him three seasons ago. And Ryan went for like two seasons at Gallaudet, and he was – he was rumored to be the highest paid offensive coordinator in all of Division Three football, making a bunch of money and, you know, living a good life just outside of D.C. and all of that. Sherman's best move as a head coach in his time at Salisbury was he went and got Ryan back. Now, the chance for Ryan to come back and coach with his father, Doug, Doug Fleetwood, as the offensive line coach there um, was probably a big plus. Um, but Sherman recognized that the Salisbury – midline triple offense had become a little stale. It had become a little stagnant. And he went and got his midline triple guru back in Ryan. Um, Ryan also does a great job in a couple of other areas there with that football program. But him and his father work real well together. They wouldn't be undefeated if Ryan hadn't come back as the offensive coordinator. And then you flip over on the other side of the ball, and Rob Dis Bennett's been running the defense there for 20-plus years. Um, Rob played quarterback at Salisbury in the 80s and was a great player, and he's been a great coach there his whole life. But when you got a guy that loyal running your defense and the funny thing about Rob and the Salisbury defense is you know what they're doing on every single play they're going to line up a certain way and they're going to do what they do and just be extremely solid in what they're doing a read and react defense been very successful um in summarizing this um Salisbury making the making the playoffs and winning the conference didn't surprise me they weren't picked to win the conference this year Wesley was but but I told some of the administrators and people in the area um that that Salisbury was going to be the team to beat I had an athletic director in the NJAC tell me that Montclair State was going to win that conference and his justification was this he said every year the team with the best quarterback wins the NJAC and Montclair State has the best quarterback in the conference this year. And, and, and I laughed and smiled at him. I said, you're right, that they returned the best returning quarterback. I said, however, if the, if the tackles and guards keep tipping, whether Montclair is throwing the ball or running the ball, well, it makes it real easy for a defense to hold them down. Montclair has been tipping their plays for years, and I'm sure they probably still did it again this fall. Um, but with the, with, with the guards and tackles do with their hands and their stances, it lets you know what's going on. Um, Salisbury winning the conference didn't surprise me. I expected it. Um, and I'll tell you this about the playoffs, okay? They, they, they hung a number on Coast Guard Academy last week, um, almost abusive. Um, I don't know. SUNY Maritime. SUNY Maritime. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. My fault. Um, Salisbury is going to score 38, 40, 42 points again this weekend on, on that team from upstate New York that they're playing on Saturday. Um, and they'll they'll move on to the elite eight also. I'll, I'll be over here. Um, prediction take use nice round numbers. Salisbury forty, Union twenty this weekend. Salisbury's offense in a playoff setting. Yeah, Salisbury's offense in a playoff setting would be very, very difficult for teams that don't see it every year and don't have to prepare for that offense. 
Am I am I redder than a beat right now since you just picked against my school uh, forty to twenty? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's fu- you know it's funny the coach said the thing about round numbers, Frank, because when I was actually pulling the slides together for our tail of the tape, Salisbury is averaging exactly fifty points per game on offense right now. That's that's wow. a round number. <laughs> that's a lot of round hey, number though. Yes, sir. Yeah, hey Frank. So the silver lining is this: you'll be able to say your alma mater held them to ten points below their average. I'm not going to tell Jeff Beerman when I see him tonight over at Union uh, that this conversation even occurred. I'll let him watch it himself on Wednesday uh, because I may get kicked off campus if I let this run uh, with him knowing it. Uh, Anyway, uh, we we brought up your name earlier in the season also. Uh, Dustin Johnson got his uh, first wins uh, as head coach. First wins, I think, since 2016 uh, for uh, William Patterson. They did not, I don't believe, get a conference win yet, but 2020 is right around the corner. Uh, You told us coming in or at some point last year that uh, William Patterson was a team to be reckoned with because of Dustin Johnson, who is a prodigy from the or protege from uh, the Sherman Wood days uh, when he was with him. Uh, what is your thought right now about Dustin Johnson and the job he's doing at William Patterson? Yeah, uh, D- Dustin Johnson's a class act and a good young football coach. I-, I knew they would break that losing streak this year. And then early on in the season, I think they were two and two or two and three. Um, I-, I had hopes that Dustin was going to be able to win two or three two or three more games and and put together a little more of a successful season. Um, Dustin will be as good as the William Patterson administration allows him to be. Um, The the president there and the athletic director and the assistant AD, he'll be be as good as they let him be. Um, My hope is, is that the university gives Dustin some support um, with that football program and allows him to bring in some kids and and cultivate a winning culture there. So coach, You've got all these coaches' shows now that follow you around. You've got all these media opportunities and whatnot uh, now that you're Division Two, and uh, you get, it's a little more high profile in that respect for you from what we've seen. We, we watch. We don't necessarily uh, text you every day, but we watch to see what you're up to down there. And uh, but you know, did you miss us at least? Did you, did you miss Division Three? Did you miss us? Uh, you know, at least now, now that you bash my school's chances this weekend, tell us something good. Yeah, the, the answer is this. You, you guys are great. Um, I, I miss I miss D3Football.com. I miss you guys. Y'all all do a great job. Hey, I, I miss the I miss the Thursday article that came out on D3.com every week, and then the Friday predictions used to make me laugh. Um, until we got good, y'all. Would, you talked about the bulletin board material. Hey, Frank would pick against us every week, and somebody else would pick against us every week, and yeah. I'd be, we'd be on the bus going to away games on Fridays, and I'd be reading it off of my phone. I'd have my phone and be, be, be reading it to the guys and all that, have them all fired up. Um, yeah, I'm, I miss those things. Um, I, for, for a guy that played FCS football at James Madison University, um, I really enjoyed NCAA Division Three, and I, I would say this, and guys, I'm not kissing up to you, okay? Um, not really my style. Um, NCAA Division Three athletics is the purest form. It, it's the purest form of athletics, and it, it, it's student athletes and and people that they realize as freshmen that their education is the most important part of them being there, and that's the reason for them being there on that campus. And, and we always talked about the four Fs around here, and it, it was faith, family, 
football and your future, and your future was your education. And we used to tell them all that it didn't go in that order. We still tell our players that, okay, that, that it doesn't go in that order. Your future should, should come first. Your future and your family should be right there, one, two, and, and then your faith and then football and, and kind of go in that order. Um, I miss the purity of, of Division Three football. Um, I, I miss playing the teams on the East Coast. I really, really enjoyed Division Three football. And, and guys, I can't. I, we talked about it with the playoff system. I, if, if I'm the NCAA and I'm making rules and making changes in Division Three football, I don't know if there's an, if there's a whole lot I change because it's probably the way things should be. Coach, one thing I'd like to run by you um, because it's a it's a big deal down here in Florida, and and I, I've seen it now start to spread into the Division Three ranks. I've had uh, a group agreements to disagree with with some coaches um, and friends of mine about this. Uh, but I really hate, and I will emphasize that, this whole Division Three offering thing that's been going on. You see it on social media. You see a lot of young, um, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids thanking, you know, so-and-so school for their offer uh, to play Division Three football. Um, I guess I understand in a way that you kind of have to play to your market, but and you, I, I agree with you. It's part Division Three is part of. It's supposed to be about the purity and it's about the future and the student athlete. What's the deal with this this new trend of offering you know D three kids when it's really just you know hey you know we like we'd like you to play on our team just apply to our school and and show up and you you've got a roster spot. It just seems a little disingenuous to me, but at the same time I understand why coaches have to go along with it because apparently we have a generation of kids now who want to show up and say. Now, here's my offer letter from so-and-so university. You, you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's just a roster spot. And that's an NCAA Division Three football, hey, for, for, for the most part now. There, there's still hey, there's a couple schools at the top that, that are embedded in, in the funny business, okay? And, and they may be yeah, giving sure. out some offers. Yeah, but hey, hey Hobart College and Union College and Salisbury and Frostburg when we were Division Three, Yeah, the only thing we were ever offering someone was a, was a roster spot. Um, but then you touched on a on part of it. Hey, there, there's a me generation right now. It, it, it's about me, me, me. Um, and what happens with these young men is, is they got a teammate that gets an offer from a Division One or an FCS school or a Division Two school. He gets a scholarship offer. And they just feel so left out that when the Division Three school down the road offers them a roster spot, well, they publicize that too. Hey, I've been offered two. Um, I, th I think they want to feel that they want to fit in. They, they want to feel like they're in. They're in, and they're as good as the other player. Um, it, it's more than just Division Three, James. Um, that that Pioneer Conference, the the, the FCS conference that is non. Yeah, Stetson down the road. Yeah. Yep. You see, you see over and over, I just got a, got an offer from Stetson. I just got an offer from Valparaiso. I just got an offer from Moorhead State. Well, it, you want to say, son, you, you didn't, you haven't been offered anything except for a roster spot. Yeah, you, with those coaches, they can't even offer you admission into school. So you, you've still got to get through the admissions process and get into those schools, same as Division Three. Yeah, the only thing you've been offered is a spot on the team, and you've only been offered that spot for one season. You're going to have to earn that spot again your sophomore, junior, and senior year. Yes, sir. 
Coach, uh, I, I'm going to be a me person for a second here. Um, behind me, uh, you do see uh, my name on a Wesley jersey. You see uh, Montclair State, even though they may tip off their place at the line. Uh, you see a uh, Springfield uh, T-shirt. You see, uh, I believe, Montclair poster there and a Union hat and a Wesley hat. Um, we, we do take uh, things from Division II schools uh, that are named Frostburg State. If you do want to send something uh, to either of our ways, so, uh, you know, to at least have the memory of you, uh, you know, in our little shrine to Division Three here. So just keep that in mind. I'm not trying to, you know, kiss up to you here or trying to get something from you, but just remember us now. Uh, that said, too, though, uh, we miss you and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you didn't even hesitate to respond to us in terms of a request the other day when we uh, texted you to say, hey, could you come on the show? And uh, it's like old times. And uh, we are so proud of you and your team for what they have done. Eight and three was astounding. Nobody expected that uh, from, you know, let's say the ranks of journalists and broadcasters out there in Division Three. So you did us proud and you always do us proud, Coach, and we really appreciate you. Thanks for coming back on the show with us. Guys, y'all, thanks for having me. Um, I need I need both your mailing addresses and your shirts and jerseys and stuff will go out in the mail today. <laughs> All right. That, that was way too easy uh, on my part. I, I, everybody's going to be like, Frank, you you really shouldn't have done that. I just that. got you know offered what? from Prosper. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going with. Frank, you just got to promise me that my Frostburg stuff's going to cover up that Wesley and Montclair stuff. Um, I cover maybe not, but we'll make room so that at least it's on the same line. How's that? Because, you know, no, Richie and Cola. Hey, hey. Give you a cut. I, I am a Coach G fan. Uh, the NJAC refuses to name the Coach of the Year award after him, but it should be named after him. It should be the Rick G and Cola um, NJAC Coach of the Year each year. Um, yes, sir. But with, they don't want to hear that from me now. Um, it, you asked about my thoughts about Division Three, and you guys. Here's a good one for you, okay? Our, our special teams coordinator, DB's coach, is an Ithaca grad, okay? Our defensive GA is a Kane, Keen, Keen, however you want to pronounce it, grad. Kane, uh, <laughs> I've learned the hard Dan way. Garrett, yeah, Dan Garrett, disciple, who, who's one of my favorites all time. Um, our wide receivers coach is a Montclair State graduate. Um, we have a couple of Frostburg grads working around here as young coaches. And then our tight ends and fullbacks coaches are Christopher Newport grad. So, so we're, we're, we're kind of like a, um all in-jack coaching staff here. Sure well, thing. Yeah, it's a, uh, again, old habits die hard, as we said earlier. And uh, you you know that they are passionate about football just by the fact that they are around Division Three as long as they were. Uh, so, you know what? Uh, hearing, you, hearing it from you today actually reinvigorates us in terms of why we do this uh, for Division Three. It, it ain't for the money. It might be for a jersey or a shirt a little bit, I guess, but it ain't for the money. That's for sure. Coach, thanks again. No, it's uh, guys, it's pure. That's why you're doing it. Uh, NCAA Division Three football is pure. Hey, thank thank y'all for having me. Go Bobcats. So, okay, one thing we got to say is after the interview was over, he did ask us the question about whether or not Union uh, had faced a mid-level triple team uh, like Salisbury is. Yep. And we said, yes, Coach Salisbury, and he's, or, uh, Springfield, excuse me. And he said, well, if that's the case, then maybe it should be more like a 42-27 score to his book, something around those uh, lines. So the 40-20 thing actually might be a little bit closer in his mind for another possession. That said, he still has a lot of positive things to say about Salisbury and their capabilities in this game. Um, 
you you and I love this guy. We talk to him probably as much off camera as we do on camera. We talk I'm to him. I'm kicking like myself that I didn't. He wasn't the first person that I called to do the, when I was writing the NJAC preseason preview. What an idiot I was! And I would have probably <laughs> caught on to Salisbury. Like, what was I thinking? You know, here I'm like, oh, I'll talk to you know, Coach Fitzgerald. Just puts it all out there, and he knows oh, yeah. these. You know, he knows all these programs. He knows this you know, this uh, deal so well, and. Um, yeah, he makes a lot of a lot of great points, and so it'll be interesting to see if his predictions pan out. Yeah, uh, I I think that um, he's happy where he is right now, uh, but I think he misses a lot of the old uh, faces that he oh, was that, dealing with. Yeah. I wonder if someday we won't see him back in Division Three. Uh, there's a point, a part of me that feels he loves the pure, purity of the game in Division Three. Maybe later on in life when he is done ascending in uh, the coaching ranks because this is a guy like Lance Leipold in my book that could go to Division One eventually, the FCS or something else. Oh, yeah. He really could. I mean, look, he's got nothing left to prove to me because going 8-3 and three in year number one in Division Two, you can't be serious that that's even possible. Okay? Yeah. It, 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 you should not win more than three or four games in your first year when you make that transition, and they won eight. Okay? So I don't care how easy you think that conference is. It's not that easy, no matter where it is. It's Division II yeah. folks or scholarships involved. So, you know, when he's done ascending, I have a feeling later on in his career, we'll see him back in Division Three, and we'll all be better for in Division Three when he's back down here, uh, you know, in Division Number. I'm not saying that it's beneath him to uh, coach in this division, just, you know, down in, uh, in terms of numbers. One, two, three. That's the philosophy out there. Uh, one thing, though, that we lost sight of, and so we were actually chatting with Will Bellamy, uh, believe it or not, on Saturday and Sunday of this oh, weekend, Yeah, yeah um, is, you know, when you win a playoff game, automatically, because the way the schedule works, you are destined to miss Thanksgiving with your family if you don't live originally or reside near the school you go to. And That's true. There are five schools left, as we uh, chronicled in the uh, East region in the playoffs. And there are a bunch of players that are not going to be home for the holiday for the first time probably ever. Uh, if you're Union, for instance, Brockport may be a little bit more used to it because they've gone through the second round each of the last two years. Uh, but remember, it's shortened rosters right now. So some of the players didn't stay on the roster. They could have went home last year or the year before that if they it's were true. on. true, yeah. Um, so here's what we decided to do. We asked the schools, please, for the players that want to, that won't get to spend Thanksgiving with their family, send some messages, video messages. Uh, we'll assemble them on the show and get them going. So, a couple things. First off, uh, you learn really fast which schools have rosters from outside the direct area and which don't. <laughs> yeah. And DelVal and Salisbury uh, have the least videos here for a couple of very simple reasons. One, DelVal had an issue, actually, uh, with uh, technology, but they weren't going to have many in the first place because, again, it, it's a lot of players from around the area. And Aaron Nelson, who you're seeing yep. right now, uh, started doing his, and then technology gave them fits. And so uh, Aaron does send his love to his family, and he's a junior wide receiver from DelVal, as you can see. Uh, you know, sorry about that, Aaron. And uh, next year, uh, if you guys go back, we're going to make sure we chronicle this a lot better. Make sure that technology doesn't <laughs> have fits on you. Uh, but I, yep. uh, you know, Union, Wesley, and Brockport uh, have a few more than the other two schools. But 
we've assembled a little bit of a video, a uh, long-form video here of players that wanted to send holiday wishes. It's Thanksgiving, for goodness sake, everyone. And here you go. I'm Pat Bernardo, senior here at Salisbury University. Uh, I'm not going to get as so much time to spend uh, with my family this Thanksgiving, chasing the championship. But I just want to give a quick shout out to my mom, um, my sister, my dad, my brother, and all the rest of my family. I want you to know that I love you, and I want you to have a great Thanksgiving. Go goals. Don't want to be no Dutchman, baby. My name is DJ Martin. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and just want to give a special shout out to my family. Unfortunately, I can't see them this Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi, my name is Ruan Peel from Wesley College. I will be missing Thanksgiving this year. Shout out to my family back home in Piscataway, New Jersey. We'll be home soon after we're done chasing this championship run. I'm Zach Christian I'm from Metairie, Louisiana. Just want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to my family. I'll see you guys Saturday at the game. Hi, I'm Ben Damiani. I'm from Lake Castle, New York. I miss spending Thanksgiving with my family and friends this year. See you guys when we're done chasing the chip. I'm Will Sermon from New Orleans, Louisiana. I uh, won't be home this Thanksgiving, unfortunately, but I'm sending my love home to my family. I love you guys and I miss y'all. And uh, huge shout out to Mrs. Cox for hosting me and a bunch of other football guys this Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Andrew Coveas from Minnesink, New York. I will miss spending Thanksgiving with my family and my friends back home. I'll see you guys after we're done chasing a championship. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Hi, I'm Corey Williams from Wilson College. I'll be missing Thanksgiving this year with my family. Shout out to my family back home in Sayreville, New Jersey. I'll see you guys after we finish this championship run. I'm Dante Scott um, from New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, and I'm going to uh, Ryan's house, Ryan E. Red's house for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for him. Shout out my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my aunts, my brothers, my sister, you know, my whole Franklin High School clique. Shout out to them. Happy Thanksgiving. How y'all doing? Jamal ago, Delaware Valley University. I just want to wish my family and friends back home. Happy Thanksgiving. Sorry I won't be there. We got a real big game. And hopefully give you another week of football. I'm Max Shakeway from Los Angeles, California. Uh, I want to say Happy Thanksgiving to my mom and my dad back home. Hey, my name is Owen Tocroma from the Bronx, New York. I miss spending Thanksgiving with my family, especially my mom and dad. Um, I just want to give a shout out to all the Barport fans out there. Go, go to Eagles. Uh, Connor Fitzgerald from Long Island, New York. Uh, I'll miss you guys at Thanksgiving this year and to the boys uh, at the Turkey Bowl. But we're doing work up here and I'll see you soon. Hi, my name is John DeMullen from Wesley College. I'll be missing Thanksgiving with my family this year in Bay, New Jersey. I'd just like to give my mom and my brother a shout out. Uh, we'll look forward to coming back on this championship run. Um, thank you to our friends and family at home. This is uh, Stephen Gravani from Old Japan, New Jersey. Um, I'm upset I can't be with my family in Florida for uh, Thanksgiving. I just want to shout out my mom and dad, my nana who's down there. And I want to shout out all my sisters, Kelly who's out in Michigan, Emily in South Carolina, Courtney in North Carolina, and Katie out in California. I wish you all the best for the holidays and we're doing work up here, but I'll see you guys soon. Hey Cole from Amityville, New York. And I just want to say I miss Thanksgiving with my family and friends, especially my mom and dad. I want to give a big shout out to our Brockport fans. I want to wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving. Go, go with the Negroes. Hey, I'm Dominique Daniel. I'm Dante Daniel. We're from Wesley Class. We've been missing Thanksgiving with our family back home, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, especially the Daniels family and the Cruz family. But a big shout out to our fans and family out there. Thank you for supporting us. Hopefully we get this championship on the championship run. I'm Josh Bingham from Endicott, New York. Sorry, Mom and Dad, I won't be home for Thanksgiving. We're still chasing this chip. Thank you to all of our fans who are going to be watching us from back home. Happy Thanksgiving. 
My name is William Bellamy. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. And uh, unfortunately, I won't be home. I'll be playing football this Thanksgiving. So I'd like to shout out all my family in Louisiana, uh, my little cousins, Luke, Cooper, Davis, and Landon. Um, I'd also like to shout out the STM Cougars playing in uh, the semifinals this weekend. Go Cougars. And uh, last but not least, I'd like to shout out uh, my girlfriend who continues to watch us from Greece. Happy Thanksgiving. So we end with Will Bellamy, uh, the guy who kind of gave us the idea without realizing it. And uh, we have to send our own uh, shout out to Ava, who's doing a term in Greece, uh, a Rockland County lady uh, who uh, apparently has the affinity of Will Bellamy at this point in time. <laughs> Ava is a big time viewer of the show. As he alluded to, she follows everybody uh, back in Union uh, in terms of Union football and she watches the show. And so, Ava, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that somebody's keeping Will in line because, you know, besides Coach Behrman, when the offseason hits, it, it, you're going to have to come back and keep him in line because he's a handful. There's no doubt about it. Well, uh, We love Will. Uh, he's uh, been great with us during this run, and uh, we love all these players and their families. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, JB, let's close the show with what we're thankful for. You gave a little indication uh, with regard to football earlier, but even in just life, what are you thankful for in this Thanksgiving season 2019? Wow, um, that's a pretty deep question, Frank. I guess, uh, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm a very lucky guy. I mean, you know, Jen's been uh, great. Uh, you know, just love being married to her and having this uh you know, Brady Bunch, mishmash of these five teenagers running around here, all with uh, different, unique um, personalities, interests. Um, you know, we're, we're going through some of the teenage challenges, too, and this part of being a parent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just I feel very fortunate, very lucky. Um, there, there haven't always been times in my life where things were as easy and as happy as they are now, and so I'm just grateful for that. And, um yeah, I'm just uh, looking forward to a nice, uh, quali quiet uh, family holiday after, you know, everyone sort of scatters. <laughs> here, here. Uh, sleep will be uh, at a maximum once uh, we get past the Salisbury game on Saturday. Uh, I will be going down there for, uh, Friday, yeah. starting to drive New York City Saturday down there. Check our Twitter, obviously. Uh, I'm thankful. Uh, you know, look, I don't have a uh, significant other in my life. Uh, there are sacrifices made, obviously, for the different things that we do I, with the refereeing I do and the broadcasting and everything else. And, you know, there will be some changes that have to get made eventually at the age of 43. You know, you start getting tired uh, beyond the, what a 43-year-old should get, and it happens from time to time. So the, <laughs> the running joke at the beginning of the show of uh, the Frank uh, replacement auditions, uh, it, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, eventually we're not going to be able to do this forever. I think there will be a season yep. 13, if I had to guess right now. Let's get through, through season 12 before we even have to talk about that stuff and uh, a couple postseason yep. shows uh, in your kitchen, perhaps. But, um, you know, for me, I am a bombastic character in a lot of people's eyes. A personality is what I call myself, not a broadcaster or a journalist, uh, more so these days. But every time that somebody kind of tries to come step on me because of the things that I say or do, 
something happens in our relationships with the schools or even other things in life that make me realize that what we do is appreciated out there. And I'm so thankful for the people that kind of help ground us and tell us, look, don't listen to the static. Listen to the people that you touch and affect every week. Uh, we, you know, 16 weeks worth of this, uh, plus preseason and postseason stuff that we do. You lose track of it. You really do of what you are able to affect. And being able to talk to these players and give them even life advice and job advice and stuff like that. We were doing that earlier on some text messages and keeping track. I, there's a, some stories to be told. David Tamiro, I'm hearing, uh, it may be getting pro looks uh, out there. We're going to follow up on yeah. that, uh, for instance. There's a guy that we absolutely loved after the season last year, and our our heart poured out for him when Jim Margraff passed away at the beginning of this year. And you know, for him to come on the show and talk about that whole thing, it was just like this is a man, this isn't a kid, okay, in our book. And to hear that he's still thriving despite the season that uh, Johns Hopkins had, which, which was a good season, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't last oh, yeah, year's season. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's great to hear that. And the relationships we make and keep here make it worth doing the show. So, yeah, we've got static. I've got a, a parent that chased me in the field. We talked about that. We've had issues here and there. But for me to even be able to go back to Union College this year, the amount I've been able to for interviews, for games, and to be embraced by Coach Behrman and the team has been extraordinarily meaningful and special to me. Yes, again, not everything's forgotten and forgiven in terms of certain aspects of what happened a few years ago. But the people that weren't involved with that don't deserve to be penalized. And that's why we wanted to go back there and do the right thing, or like, at least I did. And you kind of gave me the yeah. thumbs up on it. And Will Bellamy, again, bring up his name. Yep. He was one of the people that was instrumental to say, Frank, would I want to yeah. meet you. And I said, you know what? It's time. And you were the one that put the survey, the poll up there, that made it happen. So I know this is long-winded, but I just want everybody to understand, when you write to us or comment to us of your love of the show or what we do, even if we disagree about certain things in the Brevard game that, you know, whether players push out of bounds and deserve being ejected in our comments, understand that you're watching our show. We understand that. We appreciate it. We absolutely appreciate it. And... You know, we'll still argue the pluses and minuses. That's our job. But we love you guys. We love Division Three. This is not for money for us. It's not for money for you as players and their families. You're, you're losing money as much as we are because you're paying the bill probably in a lot of cases. But we appreciate you. We do appreciate you, and we are so thankful for you. So beyond my family that I'll be spending Thanksgiving with, tomorrow and yours too jb tomorrow you are our extended family and we do appreciate you for what you've given to us over this last 12 years basically uh, give or take so go enjoy yeah. your holiday season everyone thanks to coach coach fitzgerald thanks to brandon at uh, brockport michael at wesley chris at delval steve at union and cyril at salisbury for helping us assemble the video earlier that you saw uh, thanks that to Ava awesome, and Greece for watching us because that might be our longest uh, distance view that we have out there. And thanks to you, JB, <laughs> for being such a great co-host to me over the years. Yeah. Same to you, Frank. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. <laughs>